I am such a, I'm a diversity, inclusion and equity consultant and trainer, and I help individuals and organizations build bridges that drive inclusive and equitable communities. This, this, is, this is Diversified, Diversified. Game. 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 Game, a podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So let the game begin. It's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, I have our Cameroonian sister who lives in the States, but she's originally from Cameroon, Seche, who is all about diversity and inclusion and teaches corporations, organizations, nonprofits, wherever you're at. I mean, she'll even teach you one-on-one if you can pay the invoice. She's going to give us the game, not just on diversity and inclusion, but she is rare, folks. This is the first Cameroonian woman that I know who is into country Western music. And you're going to see her video throughout this thing. And she, I mean, she's really put time into this. This is not any like, you know, that she's all in on country music. So she's going to give us the game and how she uses her singing talent, her music and videos to even push diversity and inclusion. Seche, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you very much, Kellen. I'm so excited to be here and I am doing great. It's a wonderful day out here today. Awesome. I should have said how for you now, but you know, I I, I did find though. I did find Mango do how. Yes. Yes. You guys, we have to do it. Diversity inclusion. You guys got to learn this uh, Cameroonian pigeon. But let the people know how did a young lady um, come from Cameroon not just get into diversity and inclusion, but country music as well? Please tell your story. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so I came from Cameroon uh, to the U.S. to study engineering. So I studied chemical engineering at Iowa State University. And I think that was my first exposure to country um, music and culture. We used to go here writing. And someone would pick a lot of um, fruits in the farm and then would do, um, would ride the tractors and someone would teach us country line dancing. And I was like, I love this. And then I eventually joined the Onion Creek Band, which was more like square dancing, which is really, really traditional. (laughs) And I just loved it. And so I, I have lived around the United States, different, so many different states. And everywhere I went, I found the, the, the most happening country club um, so I could continue country line dancing. Uh, but how I got into that song in, in particular was my, my friend, um, Shamara, who is African-American in Mississippi. She sings so well. And I begged her, please teach me how to sing like you. And she tried so hard to teach me, but no matter how hard I tried, she kept saying, honey, you sound so country. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, you can't be black and country. So I was like, I don't want to sound country. I want to sound like you. She's like, no, honey, it's okay. Embrace it. You sound country and you do a lot of country things too. It's okay. Embrace it. So I went around town interviewing everyone that I met, you know, informally asking, do you think you're country? And if so, what makes you country? And um. And I put all that data together. Being an engineer, I like to analyze things. So I came up with a formula to calculate how exactly how country I am. 
and I realized I was 87.39% country and I was like oopsies okay I guess I am I'm gonna write a song about it so that's when I wrote Black Country Girl um, about eight years ago in Mississippi. Wow and you didn't just keep it country which is the part that I even showed my wife and she's like I, I love it because you kept that and even if you look at her hat you guys is that a Barminda? Yes. Oh man, <laughs> you kept it Afro country. I mean, uh -huh. have you seen anybody else do this? Is there anyone else you can collab with that says, yes, we've done this. Like this is its own sub genre of two different, you know, cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I don't know any, I've not seen Afro country before, but I would love to see that. I would love to collaborate with other people. Um, now, there were a couple artists in um, um, African-American artists who inspire me a lot. It's not necessarily Afro country, but I just love their style and their authenticity. And one is Rissy Palmer and another is Mickey Guyton. Um, and I just, I, I love their music. I see the authenticity is uh, uh, um, coming out of like Rissy Palmer. <laughs> um, and that inspires me to be my authentic self too. So that's why I kept it country. I, I, I kept it Afro country. <laughs> I don't have to give up one part of me in order to embrace another part. I don't, I can integrate both cultures. And how have you been received by the, when you do, you know, you perform by the traditional country uh, crowd, as well as the, not just African crowd, but you got black folk to be like, okay, I mean, we can get down with the country. Uh -huh. But you done mixed it, like, to them, that's country. Like, to what, in L.A., when you're in L.A. and they say country, they don't mean it as, like, a compliment. So, uh -huh. so you know, Black folks who are country, but then they're calling you, that is country, Afro country. Like, how have you been received by all, you know, sides? Actually, the reception has been really great, even before I produced the song. Um, I, I, like I mentioned, I wrote it eight years ago when I lived in Mississippi, working at Caterpillar. Um, so I have been performing the song even before I produced it this year, and I have been using it also for, for um, unconscious bias trainings all before now. And the reception has been really great, both from, both from Black and non-white people and African people. African people are like super excited because they're just in like shock. Um, like, what? <laughs> And I, you have no idea what messages I get from some people, some some fans and supporters from out of the blue. Like you have no idea how much your song makes me smile, because I am I live in Africa and I love country music. And to see the combination, I'm like, where is this from? So yeah, it's it's really amazing to get some com such comments from random parts of Africa. Um, yeah, about how just excited people are, are that I was able to integrate both cultures in a song. And it's, it's an integration that you don't normally expect. Um, people even think that the words black country girl is an oxymoron. <laughs> but the yeah. reality is there's been a lot of black people in country music and culture. That we just don't see it in the mainstream, but it is there. Um, so it sounds like an oxymoron because of the lack of representation. But out of all the cowboys and cowgirls in the old white world, West, one in four of them were black. And we could go on and on about the history and contributions of black people in the white West, but um, that might be another interview. <laughs> well, you already know, um, we had some other talk for um, 
a platform, the African Diaspora News Channel, and, and you're going to, you know, cut some stuff and, uh, and educate and almost, I think, entertain some folks. Because some folks are going to be like, nah, this can't be serious until they hear your music because you are truly, you know, you're not just line dancing. You're doing even your, the traditional dances, but you're, mm -hmm. you make it look good. And mm -hmm. that you are, I mean, it's the vibe. It's a full vibe in its own. So, you, you know, I'm, we're already talking, folks, about some other stuff. So you're going <laughs> to see her on, on some other platforms. I truly think you have a million-dollar idea in creating a genre that I've only seen years ago one other, like, group maybe do heavy metal in Africa, but I've never oh. seen people do country in mm -hmm. Africa where it got you know noticed and music is music now yes. how do you go about saying I'm gonna blend the two is it something is, is it a natural thing do you actually say okay if I do this verse catered towards afro I'm gonna do this verse catered towards country and pop like how do you put it all together that is a great question that is why the version I have published and produced is like version five <laughs> because uh, so the original beats were made in Cameroon by a really good producer M1 Studios and I wanted it to be a fusion from the get-go and although they're familiar although the producer is really good and familiar with country music they're not inundated with country music in Cameroon so he did a, he did a great job but it was missing the country it was the the country it was very very subtle and so I wanted to um, I wanted to bring back more country into it. So um, when I came back to America, I tried to find producers who would be able to blend the two. Nearly every producer I tried to work with said, mm -mm, let's just start over and let's make it country. So they were like, either you, you, you can have the African version and you have the country version. I was like, no, I need it to be the two. <laughs> but most producers wouldn't touch it. And they will refer me to other people. And then I would get to that person and they'll refer me to someone else. They'll say, I don't want to touch it. <laughs> they kept saying, let's just start over and make a country. But finally, I found a producer who um, was brave enough to experiment. <laughs> and I think he did a fabulous job adding building up a building onto what had already been done in, in, in Cameroon. And we actually put my tradition, it wasn't just Afropop mixed with country. We put some of my traditional um, music style in it like Moninkim. That's why somewhere halfway through the song we get into this fusion, this blend. It sounds a little bit like Middle Eastern, sounds a little bit like Indian, sounds a little bit like Moninkim, which is from my tribe. <laughs> um, sounds and then sounds a little bit like country and then you know comes back to to the regular blend. Yeah, so it, it's been an interesting project. And then it also has that ragatone feel. Some people tell me, oh, I thought this was reggae, but now it's country. Oh no, but it's Indian. And you know, I, I, I love having that mix, but it was not easy. <laughs> How important is it for you to, you know, push the people when they're pulling all these different, cause you know, someone will say reggae, raga, mm -hmm. you know, two different genres. Um, yeah. You might do a song where it's rap, but then if you go to the UK and put a mix, it'll be grime or garage. And those are two different things depending right. on how you do the, how, does it get to you where you like, I just do music. I'm like Prince. I just do music. You call it what you want to call it, vibe to mm -hmm. it. Like, does it ever get frustrating? Or are you still kind of just educating or educating everybody 
still yeah. like, you can blend it? That's a great question. It's not frustrating to me. Um, as, as, there are some comments that I get sometimes and at first it makes my blood go up. But when I think about it, <laughs> I'm like, no, actually that's good. You know, it's, 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 let's, let's talk about that. It's, it's a part of the conversation. Like some people would say, oh, what is Indian music doing in all of this? What is, uh, and they watch the video and go, what is Indian doing here? And I have to, oh, oh what is Arabic music doing here? And I have to show them, first of all, the costume I'm wearing is not Indian, it's Cameroonian. <laughs> <laughs> and that music also is, is, is this or that. But you know, I, we have that conversation and I show them how we're all interconnected. And like people said, oh, you were doing belly dance and this, what does belly dance got to do with, um, with Africa or whatever? And then I have to educate them like, by the way, there is a lot of belly dancing in Africa and Egypt is in Africa too, you know? <laughs> In the earlier versions of the song, there was a lot more of that um, mix in it. But I saw it as an education opportunity when people say, what is this doing here? And what is that doing here? Because they don't know that Africa is so diverse, right? It's an education opportunity. So no, it doesn't, the conversations that have come up are really good. It might, it might make my blood go up a little bit at first, but upon thinking about it, I'm like, this is a great conversation. Another conversation that happens is like, well, you're talking about, you're singing about the South, but I thought you're supposed to be singing about country, Western culture, Southern culture and culture, country, Western culture, uh, different things. There's overlap and so on. And I'm like, yes, let's have that conversation. <laughs> yeah. So I love that everyone's taking something else different out of it and that it makes some people confused. It's that, that's the point. We need to get out of our boxes and our comforts and we need to dish the expectations we have of each other of ourselves let's get out of these boxes we put each other in well i love i live outside of the box and even you know 80 years from now in death i don't i don't want to be in a box um but you have people who in some elements of their life it's you know i'm out of the box but then it'll come to that one thing and it's you can't move me from here whether it's religion you know morals whatever um but you're totally, at least with your creativity, out of that box. Like this outfit that you have, this is all custom, right? You've made this. Right. Yeah, I made it. So, so you, you took the hat and then you got your African. But how did you make your shirt? Because I'm just not that creative. So I want to know, like, <laughs> I'm seeing your shirt. And I'm like, is that a vest? Is it a shirt? Um, how did you make that? Great question. Um, ironically, I bought it just as it is. I saw it and right away I was like, that's it. That's my signature shirt. <laughs> okay. I bought it in a, in a country store called San Diego Sadori. That's where I bought a lot of my, I, that's where I bought a lot of my country um, outfits, at least those that I've bought in California. I've, I've had many um, country outfits over the years. So I have like 12 different hats and like four different boots. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, I got it just the way it was. And I thought, wow, what a great fit. <laughs> okay. This oh. one, I gave a lady, a, a, a country lady. Um, I gave her the hat and I gave her the cloth and I gave her the idea and she put all the pieces together. <laughs> I gave her uh, all the ideas and she put them all together. Whether it was my jeans or my shirts or other things I had to modify, she did them for me. I think you got something with the, the clothing because those hats, 
those could go anywhere. I mean, you could see a, a, a famous person, you can name it, per, you know, who, whomever. Uh, Two chains could get away with rocking that as tall as he is and putting that. That is on. a great idea. I need to update my merchandise. I need to stop my merchandise. <laughs> yeah, you start with a couple. That's a high end hat. You know, um, mm -hmm. it's not. It, it's nothing cheap because it, this is for those who know and see fashion as art. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I could just see it. Now, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, I'm going to, let me pull it back because you and I have had private conversations. Some of that I may want to talk about. Some of it I don't because it has okay. to do with, you know, the business and how to push. But mm -hmm. you're in California right now where I'm from Cali, so I can talk like this. People in California think, oh, there's no racism. We're all <laughs> dating each other. You uh -huh. can be you can be an alien, you can be a dog, you can date a dog in California. Um, uh -huh. How do you see, do you see a difference between uh, diversity done in California and inclusion, racism, and Mississippi? Um, a lot of people say they just, you know, make it look better in California, but I want to know you being someone who has, you know, can kind of be non-biased because you're not from this country and you've been able to look at it. Oh, there's no such thing as non-bias. Everyone's got bias. So we just have to admit it so that people listening to it can be, can be objective. <laughs> yeah, you, well, you're not as biased as me, who if I go on the Cali side right. and say, we're not as racist as Mississippi, we're in Mississippi and Louisiana, where I went to school in Louisiana, some of That's the rednecks true. were some of the nicest people. When my car broke down, the women yes. would be out there even helping me push the car with the men. And I'm like, do I got yes. a woman? my car hold on yes. i gotta you in the thing but they all just jumped out of their their truck whereas in yeah. california ain't nobody really helping you like that you know you almost have to be on fire so i'm totally biased okay. um but just like what is your perception and opinion on how diversity and inclusion is done in both places that is a great question so actually i started my diversity inclusion career in mississippi when i was working at caterpillar and one of the managers just noticed how I carried myself around work and how I help people feel included in different things and how I outreach to the community and they decided to make me diversity inclusion specialist. Um, so someone else, they ended up hiring someone else to take over my engineering workload and then I did diversity inclusion. So that's where I started this work and realized, oh, this is what I was born to do because I was able to bring so many parts of myself to work not just my engineering, I was able to bring my artistic side and, and leverage that in the trainings that I developed and, and, and things like that. So how does um, doing this work in Mississippi compare? How does it compare to California? I love the sentence you, you said earlier that yeah, California makes it look better because to be honest, um, in Mississippi, yes, there's many structural issues, but the people are nice. But don't get me wrong, niceness is not a replacement for inclusion or equity. <laughs> <laughs> it is not a replacement. It's better than not being nice. But there is that family feel, at least in my experience, the people were warm, both black and white, they were warm. Did I meet some people who said really racist things? Yes, but guess what? I've met such people in California as well. So the challenge is, I feel like in California, because we have the impression, oh, we live in a diverse place, everyone's cool. We don't actually take the time to get to know each other. Mm. We just think as we're next to each other, we rub shoulders, maybe we work with each other, that's all good. And so we don't get to take the time to form those deep bonds. 
And we don't take the time to work on the systemic issues that need to be worked on because we think it's enough to just get along with each other. But that's not enough. Diversity and inclusion is not just about getting along with each other. We have to look at the social and economic justice part of it. Can you go deeper and talk about, uh, especially for the um, American audience, uh, maybe some of those two in you know, the UK, the difference of, you say, getting to know each other? Because in America, and I've joked with this with um, influencer um, that we, we deal with, um, and I won't say her name, she might not like it, but she, how in America, when someone says, how are you, by the time the person answers, the other person's, you know, down the block, <laughs> but in Africa and, you know, in most of the world, when you say, how are you, or you're in Kenya, Uhalegani, you know, they uh -huh. really want to know, how are you how in are the you? family, you know, yes. can you talk about the difference in the culture shock with that? Absolutely, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> so when I, when I, when I came here uh, and people say, how are you? And I said, I'm fine or I'm not fine. And I keep going on and on, you know, they're like surprised that I actually said that I was actually going on and on. And I remember one time um, someone asked me, how are you? I said, I'm not fine. My luggage got stolen. And it's been frustrating. Try to get try to retrieve it. And I'm like, oh, good for you, good for you. <laughs> because whenever you, you know, what no matter what they asked you and you answered, people always said, Good for you, good for you. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I'm saying I'm talking about my frustration, and you're like, Oh, good for you, good for you. <laughs> and you see someone say, How are you? And someone says, Not fine, my, my dog just died. They're like, Oh, good for you, good for you. <laughs> Wow, that sounds like a YouTube skit. And then, do. yeah, another thing that I noticed is people say I love you a lot, um, and which I totally admire. In my country, we don't say I love you much, um, but we show it in other ways. Like it's it's implied. The way our parents tell you I love you is study hard, eh? Don't talk to boys in school, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. It's, you know, they'll talk and hold their ears like that. That's your own, I love you. It's not, I love you. So it's still a little bit uh, uncomfortable. Um, but I know this in America, then some uh, the I love you has become cheapened too. You will hear someone just scream at their mom on the phone and hang up with, I love you. And I'm like, what? Like the conversation that just happened. <laughs> and they just end with like a very, I love you, bye. <laughs> and I thought, oh, but yeah, that, that's, that's been interesting. Interesting. And I remember trying to replicate saying I love you with my parents. It was a very interesting experience, you know. Um, at first, when I told my dad I love you, it was silent. Crickets. Yeah. I was like, Dad, I said I love you. Aren't you saying anything? And he said, Mm-hmm. Saying anything. He said, I said, Mm-hmm now. <laughs> Eventually he graduated to okay. And then later, so thank you. And then eventually, I love you too. <laughs> yes. And, and, and you know he loves you because he puts you through school. And, yes. you know, um, you, you really know you, you love your, your daughters, especially when you negotiate the bride price, people. But that's a different subject. Um, that's a different subject. <laughs> um, but no, that's, no, that, that's just an eye opener. So what do you do? 
to help corporations. I want to speak to you corporations because mm -hmm. a lot of times they think because they might have someone black in a department or have a diversity person and sometimes they're not, they're a, uh, not even black, they're a Mzungu or an Abroni. Um, they're uh -huh. white person, people, I'm saying. And uh -huh. they think, oh, at least we're talking about it. But what do you do and, and to corporations that's measurable? Because it's really their bottom line that they're covering when they bring in, in diversity inclusion officers. What do you Absolutely. do that's probably different than most? What I do that's different than most is my approach in general. So on early in my career in diversity and inclusion, I had the same approach where I thought it was about helping people get along, just respect, authenticity, and 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 things like that. But that that approach works on the symptoms, the symptoms of of oppression, the symptoms of systems of bias, the the symptoms of injustice. So my approach is to look at the roots, especially in how I educate employees. Okay, yeah, we'll have unconscious bias training, but how did we get here? What's the roots of race? How how did race come about? What are the things in your system that and in your processes? So with my engineering background, so that really helps a lot. So I look at the systems and processes, the hiring processes, where are people falling off? Where are different kinds and demographics of people falling off? We look at those pipelines and see how it how it plays out in that process. So my what I do different is I look at the, the equity side a lot. It's not just about let's get along, let's put those number ups, but how can we make sure our processes and systems are, are designed or developed in a way that has everybody in mind? So for, for example, we would also look at subsection planning. How many people do you have in the pipeline who are ready now for certain critical roles who are from underrepresented minority groups? How many people do you have that are being developed for potential to, to take over potential um, critical roles that, that are from underrepresented minority groups? Also, how are you building an environment where these people feel valued and heard and, 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 and like their work here is taken seriously? How are we making sure we're developing them? How are we recruiting from the right sources? So are we just saying, we don't, you know, the black people are not applying, Hispanic people are not applying. Or are we going to meet them where they are? Are we investing in our communities? When we talk about diversity and inclusion, is it just a branding exercise? Or do we really care about the actual outcomes and working conditions of the communities we're claiming to care about? Are we using DNI just as an invisibility clock for, 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 for other things we might be doing that might not be that ethical? or that might not be advantageous for the people in the communities we live in? Or are we actually doing things to improve the lives of these communities? So I ask the deeper questions in, in the way I approach my work and when I do my work. And that can be measured through many ways. We have both, uh, we, we, we have both heart data and soft data and soft data is like people's perceptions of the different things that are going on. And hard data, hard data would be in our would be seeing the changes in our in, in the diversity of our employee base, of our customer base. Um, it would also be the changes in promotion levels and things like that, and retention rates and turnover rates for our underrepresented minorities. Okay, okay. Well, I I, I love that because corporations, you know, 
they they think corporate and it's hard for them to come out of their their shell and their box. Mm-hmm. Now, with the success that you have had and the best is yet to come, we truly believe that. What is a community give back that you are doing or that you want to do in the future? Sorry, say that again. What is a community give back that you are doing or that you want to do in the future? Oh, great question. I don't even like the word give back (laughs) because um, the community is giving as much to me as I am giving to it. Like it's a symbiotic relationship. It's not me giving back to the community. It's us building each other. And some of those include some of the things I'm doing right now are bridge building events. So, you know, our country and our individual communities are highly polarized and we're not talking to each other. Everyone thinks the other person's the devil. Um, so I've been doing some community building circles in, in, in our community, trying to build bridges, bring people from different sites to start to build relationships and bonds so that we can actually see each other's pain and start to uh, develop interest in collaborating together to build a society that really works for all of us and not, and not become slave to this perception that this group of people, they're the enemy this one's the this one's the reason why i might be suffering financially or if this one keeps going this way our country is gonna die so um i have been doing a lot of that and i also work a lot with the populations that are experiencing homelessness because i'll be honest um i did not prior to several years ago i did not understand some of the systemic issues that lead to poverty i didn't realize how 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 poverty is a business for some people. Like some people need others to be poor so that they can maintain their profits. So it's been a lot getting involved in this. It's been um, enlightening and eye-opening getting involved in these communities and advocating for them and, and, and doing programs for them. So I'm part of the Voices of Our City Choir here in San Diego, which is a choir that's catering to people who are, ex- who are experiencing homelessness. And that has opened my eyes a lot. That's why I refuse the word give back (laughs) for me because I grow and learn so much. And we all have a bit, we all have at least to some extent a savior complex. And and if we don't check that, monitor that, we will go into this community things with that complex and it could make things worse. So um, yeah, I, I, the community gives me more than I can ever give it. <laughs> well, that's probably the best answer that I have ever heard. So I know when I'm asked that, where I'm going to take that from. And, oh, I got it. It's going to be full of drama, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, because that, that's what, what I'm going to do when, when I'm asked that question. But I love that. And it's genuine. And, and I definitely feel the vibe. So if the audience could do one thing for you, um, you know, to strengthen the message and push, you know, is it, you know, sharing a video? Is it sharing a link? Is it telling their, you know, bosses, hey, this is who we need to bring in to the school district, to the corporation. What could that thing be to, you know, help you out? Thank you so much for that question. So to help me out, go to my website, blackcountrygirl.com and scroll down a little bit and you'll see a link there to put your email address in there. So put your email address in there and you'll join my street team of bridge builders. We are bridge builders and um, yeah, and through, through, through that, I will be communicating more ways in which you can help 
whether it's through participating in challenges that would help people um, bring out the, their authentic selves more, or it's through challenges that will help us build bridges, or it's through challenges that will just help us have fun, or it is by or, or whether it's buying merchandise merchandise like this. Um, just go ahead and put your email address in that um, in that funnel on my website blackcountrygirl.com, and we will be in touch. And you can join my street, my street team and help me expand the movement. Well, you guys have got the game. I want you to make sure that you share the game with somebody because this is the type of story that we need more of. People being themselves, not following any trends. You know we're going to take this off air and talk until your next meeting. So you guys okay. like, share, subscribe, and be blessed, y'all. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.